Hey y'all, this is Hacker Mike, and I'm just recording an intro to the intro to let you know that this is going to be a mixed bag episode, but we're going to introduce the concept of the Cyber Communist Overlord, aka Supreme Leader, aka Chairman, who is our Supreme Leader of the Communists, the Cyber Communists. And that is the theory that I'm going to introduce today, that the new Marxists, the new justice, is based, is fueled and based around the idea of the algorithm, the tyranny of the algorithm, that will finally bring justice to the undertrodden people. And that they look forward to the rule of the tyrant algorithm. To finally give them the power and lift them up. I will go over that. Now first I'm going to talk more about Vlad. I'm going to talk about machine learning, algorithm statistics. I'm going to talk about the compiler stuff. Not too long, but please do not skip over this episode because I want you to hear the part. I don't have the time to codes. But uh, you can just skip forward a little bit if you don't want to hear the compiler stuff. But it's, inter- it's intermingled, it's interspersed. Um, <clears throat> so please bear with me on this episode. Don't let, let your eyes glaze over. And I hope you enjoy it. Hello, world. This is your host, Hacker Mike. On the stream of random podcast also known as the worst podcast in the known universe on this podcast we talk about random things that occur to us but we're developing and evolving and um, we're learning together and this podcast documents this journey that we're taking Some people are in it for the long ride. Some people pop in and sample it along the way. But it's all laid out there for you to view or to watch, to listen to at least over time. I'm going for my morning walk. The sun is already coming up. It's six, um, let's see, 6.30, it's 6.37. On Friday, October 2nd, I think tomorrow is German Unification Day. And, um, I'm walking uphill at this point. So if you hear me breathing a little heavier, I'm walking very fast. I've been getting up and doing my walks every day for quite some time now. And my legs have turned into iron. They're literally almost no fat on them at all. And um, the rest of my body is actually slimming up too. So, and my endurance is also inc- has also increased. I can go for you know four or five hour walks with no problem. 
and I do that regularly. I'm up to, I guess, an average of 20,000 steps a day. So I'm quite happy with myself in that respect. And we're going to continue on this project. I think that walking is really the <clears throat> most healthiest sport, as I mentioned before. There's no bouncing up and down like a jogger. And there's no sitting on a bicycle with your butt hurt. And um, there's no sitting in a gym with bad air and weird people. The only weird people are me walking down the street talking to myself into some microphone. But statistically, the chances of meeting another walker are pretty low. And the chances of walking behind someone are also pretty low, unless you're going into like some famous location. But um, really, most of my walks are alone. There's an awful lot of cars right now, I'm sorry about that. I'm gonna get off into a side street in a second. So, <clears throat> so I have a couple of things on my mind, but the freshest on my mind is, um, I've been listening to, uh, I've been learning about support vector machines and, um, listening to the uh, more easier introductions into um, <clears throat> Vapniks and Ch VC dimensions. And I can give a little summary of that right now. But before I do that, it really hit me yesterday. Well, first of all, what I'm doing in Haskell is functional. Like, if I write a function with no mono, uh, monads in Haskell, then I'm creating a function. And um, that function is pure. Like, it maps from a domain to a range. And it's a pure thing. So, <clears throat> so that's pretty cool that we can um, define things functionally in Haskell and make sure that they're pure, pure functions. And I've really gotten used to this way of thinking, and now I've broken down this idea of, you know, compiling or uh, post-processing the compiler or let's just say compiling into a functional type mindset and I'm attacking it so I can't say I have a solution yet 
but I'm making progress for sure. And um, <clears throat> learning a lot of stuff along the way. And there's a lot of cool functions in Haskell um, that we see also in, path in Python, like map and <coughs> list comprehensions and uh, the fold function is pretty cool. That's like, a fold is like a uh, aggregator, like a sum function but it's a generic. It's like, well, for each element in the list, apply this function and add them together and you can fold left or right from the left side or the right side. <clears throat> so eventually, I guess we could use that for an evaluation of some kind. Um definitely having a lot of fun with it and uh, still walking uphill here but uh, my insight was so Vapnik dimensions are, are the VC dimension And shattering okay so the question was if you have a data set and you split it into a um, test a training data set and a test data set and then you use the tr test the training data set to try and find a function that will model <clears throat> your data. So the functions that they were showing were like linear functions or um, sine or sigmoid functions basically. Um, And it looks like you can also transform these, your data set, if it's only two-dimensional to three-dimensional or something, or one-dimensional, you can transform it into two-dimensional by applying like a transformation, like putting it on a curve, curved surface, you can project it. So they have different projections as well. But basically, The whole idea is to try and find some function that will um, classify your data and split it up. Well, <clears throat> and uh, well, I think we can construct a whole bunch of these functions ourselves directly. And 
And as I said, we're already dealing with functional data. So, so I'm thinking about, um, <clears throat> you know, how we can apply some of these uh, learning techniques. Now, <clears throat> so this shattering system is basically if you take all sets of training data, you take all the data and you and you split it arbitrarily, um, across all permutations of whether or not it's in um, class A or class B, let's say, and you try and discriminate against um, between the two classes. The question is, is how many different variables is the function able to handle? And um, <clears throat> I guess I'm not really explaining this very well. But basically, they're measuring the power of how well an algorithm, a given function, can separate data, or how many different dimensions of data it can separate. And it basically is going to work out to <clears throat> how many parameters does the function have, how many dimensions does the data have. And, um, that you get, get, need to get into more and more complicated functions um, in the end. You need to get into more and more complicated functions um, to describe more and more complicated dimensions of data. Let's put it that way. And that um, when you do so, when you get into very complicated functions, they tend to do very well, poorly on test data. Because they either overfit or underfit. They're not really learning the information. Um, and when you test them, they fall apart. They might do very well on matching the training data but eventually they're going to fall apart on the uh, testing so he's defining learning like that so that's interesting and they're defining um, these functions as finding the coefficients to the parameters of a function and choosing the right function And that's what Fabnik was talking about before. And they were saying, like, you've got, like, simple functions. And I suppose they can get more and more complicated. 
So, I'm not going to go too much into that. But I'm starting to think about how I can use those types of functions on my problems. And if I want to. Or can I use my own Haskell functions on them? Because they're also functions. They're really functional pieces. And, um... And I guess we're getting into this uh, training set where we're talking about something that is doable for all known sets or a subset of the code. Like, if it can just compile itself, and bootstrap itself, but then will it be able to compile anything else? So if it's not able to compile anything else, then that might be an example of a vapne of a uh, overfit, where it just memorizes the structure that it's seen, but it hasn't, it's not able to generalize for future cases and um, and there we go so how much generalization do you need to handle unknowns So uh, let's um, continue thinking about this. <clears throat> it's drizzling on me, but I got a rain jacket and my sweat sweatshirt, so a little drizzle won't hurt me. So, <clears throat> we are um, gonna have to think about all this some more and I don't want to bore you guys to death with um, this topic so let's get on to the um, yesterday's podcast now the Twitter exchange did continue and basically the, the girl called me a uh, someone who's afraid of computers afraid of change afraid that I can't keep up 
And I replied to her, I said, yes, that's what's called getting older. Because there is a constant change. And you constantly have to keep up. But then I thought to myself, well, maybe this is the conflict of generation. Where the younger generation wants to supplant the older generation. And, um, and the people who have, who have not, who are in a bad situation, um, who live in a patriarchal society, are promised the future and and I'm just thinking this is actually it occurred to me well maybe they are promised the future that when the machines take over that there will finally be fairness to them that we will achieve finally the communist dream helped by the computer of an equal society and rules and <clears throat> the um, the um, justice and that the algorithms are going to give that to them that the censorship is just to help uh, train these poor people these people with the wrong thinking and bring them over to the right side or to crush them but so I finally have a glimpse into what I'm gonna call um, the communist computer overlords right which is the extension of the idea of Marxism applied to the algorithm and that that's what we're seeing people haven't really recognized this yet that it's the algorithms that are creating the social justice warriors and it's the social justice warriors creating the algorithms that there is a bias going on towards a Marxist ideal of the overthrow and that's also a generational thing that's going on, which is the, which is the um, rise of the machine, the promise of deep learning, the illusion of intelligence, which is creating the illusion of justice. Okay. So, the deep learning isn't providing us with true information, it's providing us with interpretations, narratives, not real math, but that's good enough to feed and fuel the, um, the machine, <clears throat> the meme.
it's fuel for the meme, which is, I think, one of the main selling points of, let's just say, revenge and a feeling of power. I like to stay hysteria in the old definition of someone who is weak wanting to become someone in power. And it's also a need, it's the need for the strong one, the tyrant to come and take over and clean things up and um, the savior to come. I think there's all types of psychological fuels coming in there where the social justice warriors are the damsels, damsels in distress surrounded by the hordes of smelly, grunting, um, what do we call them, apes, and the machine will come and save them and wipe everything clean and reset the slate and everyone's going to be happy and we'll live in that communist utopia that we were promised because the machine will do that for us and it gives them a sense of power a sense of being longing to something much bigger and it's also this generational conflict so those are the, some of the things that I'm uh, reading out of this situation and I think it's a good insight. Um, yeah, so I wanted to put that out there and uh, let me know what you think. Obviously, this is just a pattern match on my side. I still need to work, do the work, and think about this more. But we have to remember that some societies don't are not afraid of a tyrant, and that they um, have always lived under tyrants and strong men and so forth. So if they can have the computer be that strong man, then they think. And they're on the right side of the of justice, let's say, that it's going to uh, be to their advantage. Let's just think about that in a primitive sense, because these aren't thoughts that go to the end. These are the subconscious memes, fuels fuel for the subconscious that feeds the memes, and this ganging up. These orchestrated flash mobs or attack mobs, I think, are also fed by the algorithm. They're actually just demonstrations of the algorithm. They're created. And I'm sure they have whole teams of people working on, on that. On the back end. And it looks like Vapnik actually works for Facebook as well. So I think some of his criticism was directed at them too, the people he has to work with. He's like, illusions, all illusions and interpretations. So thank you, Vapnik, for your insights. Thank you, 
my listeners for giving me feedback and people on Twitter. And, um, we are going to continue on here. Walking up a hill. The sun is already up. Can you believe it? I'm so late today. This is going to be a short podcast, people. I want to say thanks to my dad again. Who's my one true fan. Who shares my podcast with everyone. And I've been thinking about how to actually make it better now. More well-produced. Episode 3 It's supposed to be the well-produced ones And maybe it's time that we actually produce An episode 3 episode And put some work into it But I got so much stuff to do I guess quality versus quantity But I am kicking some butt Recently Lots of stuff going on in the background. So yeah, what do we want to talk about? I think those are the two topics that were on my mind. So, um, I think we're going to uh, put this on pause. I'm going to think about things a little bit and uh, listen to some. I'm just going to think about things and not listen to anything. And I'll let you know if I have to come up with anything else to talk about. On this journey all right I'm back so <clears throat> what we're going to talk about now is how we can define functions over these compiler graphs so An output of the compiler, the tree dump function, is going to give us a list of tuples with name fields. So it's a sparse graph where I have a, a 150 some fields. These are all the different fields that are in the tree structures we've been talking about. The only real consistent field is the node type, and based upon the node type, you'll see other fields in there. 
but let's just assume for a minute that we've got a, col a table with 150 fields, mostly blank, that are all populated. That's kind of how the uh, union looks like. Well, it doesn't really look like that because the union really switches. So you get this set of fields or that set of fields. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to create a partial function over this data. And a partial function is only defined for some part of the input range. So in Haskell you say maybe. So the return type is maybe something. It, 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 it either returns just the thing you're looking for or nothing. <clears throat> so if we want to look for declarations, we could say filter out all declarations from this data set and return maybe a declaration. Okay. So that's how we're going to get this thing kicked off. Now, <clears throat> there's different node classes. Each node type is a member of a node class. So declarations is a class of node types, a set of them. <clears throat> and basically that corresponds to the, the tree structure underneath the no type. So the no type is just a switch field and enumeration. And um, the tree structure contains different structs inside of it, which are switched upon, which are in the union. And there's like, I don't know, 10 different types of structs. And each of those is a tree class. So first thing is we would switch on the tree class and we determine <clears throat> which of the branches we want to go down. So we'd have a partial function, and we would have, let's say, 10 different functions, one for each tree class, and that would then split that all up for us. So instead of having one set, we then have 10 sets. All right. Now, if we wanted to find let's say, the type of something, the type of a declaration, that would be the type field, let's say. And we'd have a function that would take a declaration and return a type. Now, we could also um, just say on the main set, we don't even need to split these things up by classes. We could just say, if it has the field type, Then we define a function that returns maybe the type of that thing. Okay. And in terms of sets, we could also say a set of declarations probably corresponds with the domain of the type function. So <clears throat> we could get into some set theory there and double check 
which of these sets overlap. And we'll get into all of that with indexing later. But basically, for all these different fields we have, we can create functions that will extract them. So we're going to get into hundreds of different functions, let's say, which will just return a field or nothing. Now, if we want the identifier of something, um, sometimes we have to follow a chain of things. And we have to do some recursion, but we can also do that. But for that, we need to have access to the graph. We have to resolve pointers. So these functions should take the graph as a parameter so we can look up other fields. So we have functions that are straightforward. Let's call them primitives. We have strong functions that require lookups to resolve. And they might require more and more lookups of different types to resolve quickly. And um, See, this is where we get into the question of, do we pass in the set into this function, or is the set contained in the function? And um, we want to look up the identifier. Can we not create a function from the set of identifiers so that it just maps an, one idea onto the next and it contains all the data? So, <clears throat> given our set of data that's an input, it would return, let's say, a map of some kind, or a function. And that function could, in theory, contain everything. Contain all the data. So we could kind of curry the function. I'm, su I'm sure this is possible in Haskell. Um, and uh, we're going to look into that because then we could just say if we need the name function in order to resolve the identifier function then we would just pass in that name function and then we could call the name function recursively or repeatedly until it resolves So basically, keep on calling name till we can't call it no more, which would resolve all the name pointers, and then grab the identifier from that. And this then gets into the question of what does the name function return, if not another name or an identifier. And that gets into data types.
So is it returning a tuple? Or is it returning an, a constructor? Or does it really matter? <clears throat> we could just create a function and say has identifier and has name, and then just say while not has identifier and has name, then call the name function on it and not care what the implementation is. And this was where we get into <clears throat> classes in Haskell where you can define a whole class of things. And that's might that might be where we're going, where we can say, oh if it's a tuple implementation we implement it like this. And if it's a constructor implementation, we implement it like that. But we hide the fact from the user. We're abstracted. So we might be getting into more advanced territory here. So we could continue down this path And in the end, we're going to define a whole ton of functions that kind of describe the structure, the invariant structure of the tree. And the invariant structure of the tree now is given by the invariant code of the tree. So <clears throat> there are certain decisions that are made in the structuring of the language, in the structuring of the tree structures, and the source code that hold for all time. So no matter what version you're using, it's going to be that way. And that's what we're trying to discover and describe. And I'm thinking that we can describe these invariants as code, as functions. And then maybe when we have these functions, we could use them we could reflect over them somehow, or describe them again, or use them somehow for deeper learning. So this is how everything is gonna to tie together, I think. Now, this idea of making something that's generic and learning invariance.
is interesting. And I think we can get down to some things like saying, I don't know, a file is full of declarations which have types. That's like, cracks like a duck. It looks like a program. If it's full of declarations, which have identifiers, and each of the declarations have a type. So that's what it looks like if it's a C language declaration. And a recursive declaration is one type that references its own type. That's what we call a recursive declaration. Alright, so I think we're going to get there with some type of invariance, and I'm hoping we can describe these invariant structures in code, in Haskell, as functions, as pure functions, and come up with some kind of elegant and beautiful language for that. That's nice to look at, because Lex will say, oh, that's a beautiful description you've come up with, a compelling argument, the art and the beauty that the mind is looking for. So we got to do some of that too. Like pure chaos <clears throat> it's not something we like looking at. Because the mind wants some kind of structure. And that's going to get into our discussion from yesterday. Okay, so let's switch back to the topic of the, um, the uh, cyber communists. So The Kubier communist is going to and especially if you're coming from a country or a place where you really feel downtrodden, if you're a minority, if you're the inside other, not part of the hegemony. And now, all of a sudden, the cyber-communism has enabled you, just by retweeting a meme, or posting a GIF, or snarking someone, to gain power over them. 
what a feeling of power. And especially if you're in a big group. And what if the algorithm is guiding you? So, <clears throat> and this is where we get into why people want the why people are seeking the tyranny of the algo because if you live in chaos and you want certainty if everything around you is uncertain you want certainty if everything around you is certain you want to break out of that certainty as well sometimes this is like the yin and the yang right so Really, we're getting into psychological issues where if you grow up in a country with no rule of law, right, or in an area with no rule of law, and you, you want someone, you want the strong man to come and crack down on these bad people, you long for that to have some kind of order, some kind of certainty. <clears throat> and I think that's the psychology that we're dealing with. I think um, I've done enough damage for today and um, <clears throat> we got another half an hour together so maybe I will uh, throw in some clips for entertainment but I'm really feeling a little bit lazy in terms of entertainment look there's a car coming down the path here I can't believe it Must be the uh, park rangers, I hope. Whew. Look at that. It's a cardinal, a woman cardinal, a lady cardinal bar. That's a beautiful. Yeah, car's coming at me. Let me get out of the way here.
Yeah, it looks like a ranger. New Jersey Water Authority, NJWA. Maybe that's what it means. Come to check out the water. So, um... I have been doing some research into Charles Lindbergh. And I listened to his family. I listened to some accounts. And I listened to his family. I mean, this guy did leave an, a lead an amazing life. And in World War II, he basically fought as an enemy combatant. Like, he wasn't even... Somehow, he got test machines. The Air Force didn't let him fly. So he basically signed up as a test pilot. He went to Japan and he tested new machines. He flew 50 combat missions with no authority. Which is pretty amazing. I mean, you gotta hand it to the guy. Um, and I listened to his uh, grandchildren. And they said that he wasn't any more worse than anyone else at the time. And they wanted to have peace. And I can understand that. I really do. Good morning. I can understand they want peace. But, um... This is going to be a deeper story. And, uh... It's going to require a lot more research. So I want to tread carefully. And, um... I want to know the truth of the situation. And I think the truth is that there was quite amount of... There was quite amount of um, un unpleasant things going on in the 20s and the 30s in America, especially here in New Jersey. We had Woodrow Wilson, who recently was dethroned in Princeton. He was president of the university. He was governor of New Jersey, and he was president. And... Um, you know, the history there definitely were unpleasant things going on back then and we're going to have to uh, understand them better but um, I'm not ready to really speak to any of it yet because I want to make sure that I get a deep and broad picture and read some books and actually understand it before I say anything else because maybe I've been saying things that were off the cuff and hateful of myself um, well partially because whenever I go to Hopewell I get pulled over or followed by the police so But um, maybe that's part of our society that's actually classist 
where unless you display the symbols of wealth that you will be discriminated against in certain parts of the country by the police and it's not necessarily a question of race it's a question of status so we're going to get more into that as we go okay well I hope uh, I provided you with some interesting content on this uh, day and um, yeah I just want to uh, I think I think we can coin this intuition intuition which is an illusion Vlad would say that all intuitions are illusions and just interpretations but not necessarily the eternal truths of mathematics the invariance But I have the intuition about the cyber communists and um, you know people have talked about you know bubble bubbles created by the social media but no one has really talked so well Joe Rogan talked about the algorithms that are causing conflicts but have we really thought about the algorithm as the actual you know the machine overlord that's going to bring the communist uh, dictatorship to liberate the people and settle the score have we talked about that yet so cyber communist machine overlord might be the right term but cyber already says machine so it's like the cyber communist overlord or supreme leader let's call him chairman the chairman of the cyber communists the eternal president so yeah I think this is something um, that we can go with and uh, and continue on thinking about definitely it's got legs as Dvorak would say it's got legs so um, yeah I'm gonna record an intro and tell people to stick it out through this mixed bag of topics so that they don't um, just fall asleep in the beginning that's what I'm gonna do for editing